Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Detours, a Glory Sports podcast. I'm your host, editor of Glory Sports, David Stahl. And alongside me, as always for the ride, is producer Ben. Producer Ben, how's it going? It's going absolutely wonderful, Dave. We're pumping out the content. We got a lot of good interviews up and... I'm excited. Well, we've got a great one today, too, and one that's a little different than any of the ones that we've recorded previously. And honestly, one of the reasons why I was so excited to start this podcast in the first place is sort of finding the alternative figures sort of sometimes on the edge of the sports world, not necessarily the marquee athletes of the Raptors or the Jays or whatever it'll be but more so the the sports psychologists or the front office executives, or in this case, the franchise owners that are really embedded into sports culture, but aren't some of the names at the forefront. Exactly. Yeah. Some people that we, we wouldn't, you really know upon mm-hmm. first glance or even know who they are or what team they own for that matter. But getting to know these, these types of individuals is fascinating. And at so all levels. let's, let's lift up the curtain. Let's unveil our guest, Sam Ibrahim, who is the, co-owner and founder of the Scarborough Shooting Stars, along with a multitude of other businesses, which we dive into. This is someone who is, again, what's so neat about these individuals, their names aren't known Mm -hmm. necessarily by the common sports fan, but they are some of the most successful people in the country. And Sam embodies what it means to be an entrepreneur 100%, especially he is the child of of immigrants who came to this country when he was very young and he adopted the GTA as as his second home and he it, it just it is the Canadian dream to yeah. a T really mm. and the fact that he's really been so integral not only in helping to to champion Toronto's basketball culture but genuinely in my opinion a huge catalyst behind starting it and and People will learn how in this episode, uh, but we touch on a lot of really fun topics, and I think some are going to be a little more subtle in terms of sort of how the GTA is shifting from a hockey culture. We even touched on this in the office, not even related to Sam, but how yeah. we're shifting from a hockey culture towards a basketball culture. It's It's been in the last few years for sure, and the, the Raptors championship definitely helped that push, but... We're starting to see, you know, a lot of people in Canada specifically will will go to junior A games, will go to triple A games, and that'll be somebody who doesn't even have any affiliation with the team just to watch the sport. In England, they, they do that with soccer. Mm. Here, we're starting to see that with basketball, and he really gets into that. Yeah, and I, I think the angle, too, that, like, the Raptors were the huge sort of catalyst that is pushing this mm-hmm basketball fever over the edge but i think what sam touches on too that's so interesting i'll let him say it in his own words too far more eloquently but the fact that you know new immigrants to canada and these are the people that make toronto in particular such a rich tapestry of cultures hockey is really expensive it doesn't cost a lot of money if you're new to canada to buy a basketball and find your your local high school or public school shoot outside same with soccer yep. and that was those were his touch points coming over to canada were okay it's basketball and soccer and he's taken that <laughs> and not only he wasn't only the kid who made it onto his high school basketball team yeah he was who said okay i'm gonna become so successful as a businessman yeah that i'm gonna team up with the ovo team 
and create a professional basketball league. And people who aren't familiar with the CEBL, that he was the only owner, the only individual owner, him and, and the OVO team that actually owned the team. Everyone else was was like league funded, league owned. Yeah. Again, just goes back to the fact that Sam really embodies what it means to be not only an entrepreneur, but a community leader as well. I think that really shines throughout the episode. We're also bearing the lead. We talk about, of course, him signing J. Cole, which which took <laughs> over headlines. That'd be the focal point of the conversation <laughs> at some point, right? <laughs> no, he and again, there's the same story envelops so much. So I, I even prefaced before I asked him, I said, Look, I, I'm sorry if you're <laughs> sick of talking about this because your story is far richer than the five games that J. Cole Literally. played in Scarborough. However, that was a seminal moment. And and he laughed. He said, No, I again <laughs> Like, he's a fan himself. He goes, no, I'm actually never sick of J. Cole. Like, I'll tell... And then you put a, you put ourselves in his shoes. Imagine you start a basketball team. You found it. J. Cole signs with you, and someone goes, oh, I'm sure you're sick. And I'm talking about how one of the greatest talk about this anymore, hip-hop right? artists of all time signed with your team. So, no, he, he was happy to dive into it. He actually touches on, like, some really neat behind-the-scenes things of how J. Cole was in practice, how yep. he interacted with fans and teammates, what those vibes were like, because there was also a little bit of controversy around them signing him. Oh, you're taking a job from a professional basketball player who is potentially maybe going to outperform yeah. J. Cole. And is this a marketing ploy? Whatever it may be, we dive into all of that. We touch on all that. Yep. So if you're a fan of basketball, if you're a fan of Canadian sports, if you're a fan of hip-hop, really there are so many touch points in this episode. And I'm really, really, really happy that Sam took the time out of an incredibly busy schedule to chat with us. So we really hope everyone in- enjoys the interview. So, Sam, like I had the chance to touch on before we started recording, your role as an entrepreneur is a little more layered than most of our guests who are typically come in as athletes or coaches or front office executives with very defined roles. So I'm wondering if to start off for listeners who might not be familiar with your work, if you were to give sort of an elevator pitch on what you do and what you've built, how would you describe Sam Ibrahim's world? Okay, so you know, I am I am a entrepreneur. So like I am the quintessential entrepreneur. I I've started many businesses, you know, most have been highly successful. And really, I mean, in the beginning they were very traditional businesses, you know, service businesses, business to business type companies. Um, and then I got into the sport facility business. So so that's kind of where it started. And that was really just triggered by the fact that my children had nowhere to play basketball in the winter. So um, I converted squash courts in our in our corporate office in Scarborough. And I made them I made them these little basketball courts where you know where you're talking 25 by 25, like tiny little courts. And they were playing, their teammates were playing, their friends were playing. And that's kind of how I got into the facility business because we started opening up these facilities. We call them the playground, you know, kind of like reminiscent of when I was a kid, when you'd go to the playground to play basketball. So we called them the playground and it went from, you know, these little squash courts in Scarborough. to you know, mega six court facilities, you know, all over the province. Now we're in Houston. It's actually become the mm-hmm. largest private basketball 
um, facility business in the world. Um, so it's 32, 32 full courts. And that's how I really got into sports. From there, from basketball courts, I got into professional ownership, team ownership with the Scarborough Shooting Stars. And again, that was leveraged from, you know what, kind of having that impression in the community as someone who's investing into basketball. Hmm. The league approached me as well as my partners, um, Nico um, from OVO. Most people are familiar with him. Um, he approached me, and again, it was it was from the facility business. From there, we got into youth basketball. We got into the prep schools. Um, we own Unlimited, which is an agency. We have 28 players, either in the NBA or in the G League, um, now playing in the NBA. And, you know, boxing, fitness centers. I mean, it's all kind of come together. But essentially, you know what, it started out of a necessity you know, in our city, that there was a lack of facilities and it just grew and grew and grew. And now we've developed this entire sports brand, um, which has been great. I mean, over the last few years, it's it's grown. It's become a major piece of our group of companies. It's so neat and it's so organic. I think when we talk to, you know, our, our sister brand, Bay Street Bull, touches on a lot of professionals and, and successful entrepreneurs such as yourselves. And when we speak to them. It's a very simple equation of sometimes creating something successful. It's something that you're genuinely passionate about is sort of part one and then be what's missing from that. And that's very much what, what that, what your approach was, it seems like in terms of, okay, I love basketball culture. I think it's growing up in Canada, but what's missing are these safe and dedicated places for people to be able to in enjoy the game. And now obviously that's expanded into being this incredibly successful business. I'm, I'm curious what your relationship with the sport was growing up. Were you a basketball fanatic? Was this something that you were always in love with? Yes, yes, yes. So you know what, when I came, so my family moved here in the 80s. So, you know, when I immigrated to Canada, I never liked hockey. Okay, because, you know, from where we're from, everyone played soccer or basketball. No one played hockey, right? So when I got here, there, was, there wasn't even the Raptors back then, right? Because the Raptors started, I think, in 95. So it was impossible to gain access to basketball. It was so unusual. Maybe you would catch a Bulls game occasionally, right? Like, I'm, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era, right? So, so for me, basketball was so elusive. It was so hard to get even any coverage on, right? So when the Raptors came... The Vince Carter effect, you know what it, you know it was like love at first sight. I played high school basketball. Yeah, man, I mean not not very well, but I was on my high school basketball team, <laughs> and and yeah, you know what it's it's always been, you know my um, my other love. Like I always list them as you know family business basketball. Those are my three loves in life. You know, mm. and and uh, and the truth and the truth is is it again the facility business was a way for me to give back to the. And by allowing kids to have access, and you said it best, you know, a safe place, a place where the community can come together. And I thought that was the best way for me to influence positively the, the basketball community. That, that has been a part of my life, you know, the bulk of my life. Mm. And again, you seem so organically tied to the GTA as well. And this idea of this, this really intimate relationship with where you call home. I'm wondering, you mentioned that you've had the chance to really see the culture evolve over your decades of being here. I'm wondering, is it startling to see sort of 
the fandom of the Scarborough Shooting Stars, let alone the Toronto Raptors today, as opposed to what basketball culture was when you first arrived in Canada? It's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's almost it's almost you know undescribable, really. Like to to see it go from a you know fourth or fifth kind of option, you know, because you know the gyms were usually you know hockey, basketball. I mean, maybe volleyball, maybe soccer, maybe indoor soccer. I mean, even badminton would kind of get priority, right? So to see it go from like the I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if basketball is the most popular sport right now with kids in Toronto. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's even surpassed hockey, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that moment, and like you know, it's kind of like one of these what they call critical mass, like that moment where basketball just exploded, like it literally exploded. I mean, I would say probably maybe in 2000, 2010, 2011 is when I realized that the kids coming out of Toronto were just as good as the American kids because that was always the that was always the measuring stick. Right? It was like, yeah, you know, you're good here, but are you as good as the kids in, in the U.S., right? And then, you know, again, you know what? Steve Nash is kind of an outlier because he came out of B.C., but the kids that came out of Toronto, so you look at the Jamal Murrays, the Shea, you know, uh, Gil- Gilgis Alexander. I mean, these are kids who came, lived in Toronto, grew up in this part of the world, stayed in Toronto, and are now the, some of the best players in the league. You know, the Canada has the most... NBA players outside of the United States. And that all happened over the last 10 years. And uh-huh. it's it's unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable to see it go from, you know, this obscure sport that, you know, not many people really cared about to the number one sport, definitely amongst boys, and I probably probably even second amongst girls in, in this city, hundred percent. It's been incredible. Mm-hmm. It's been an incredible rise. And that's and that it's and that's why. When we started the facilities, there was only another, there was only one other private facility in Toronto when we started building facilities. Now there's hundreds, mm. there's hundreds, right? So the moment we did it, now there's hundreds. Even the league, if you look at the CEBL league, you know there was five teams. It's been five years. Now there's ten teams. Before they were all league owned. Now the bulk of the teams are owned by ownership groups. We were the first ownership group. We were the first ownership group to take a chance and own a team outside of the league, and now. Mm. I would say six out of eight of them, six out of, no, I think eight out of 10 teams are now owned by individual ownership. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the most incredible piece because um, you've seen it. It's like spark, it's a spark and it's like an explosion um, and it's been incredible to watch. It's so neat with these cultural shifts where it's very difficult. You say, you know, around those 2010s, those early 2010s, it's very difficult to pin it on one particular catalyst or spark that starts everything. Usually it's an amalgamation of factors. Okay, right place, right time. And it really comes down to, okay, it's it's just time for basketball to come to the forefront for a variety of reasons. I wonder, though, as someone who, again, was really at, the root of it and paying attention to it what are some of the key factors do you think that sort of is and i think still pushing sports like hockey a little bit further behind as basketball continues to, yeah, to take up space yeah, yeah. look you you can't deny like you can't deny um you know cultural trends or, or even immigration trends so mm. caribbean caribbean and african migration to to Canada and primarily GTA. I mean, these people from these parts of the world never saw a hockey stick. You know, they they 
they're not gonna they're not gonna skate they're not gonna skate right so and again that's where i'm from i mean we're, we're from the middle east and i grew up in egypt so so i mean when we came here it was a lot more natural to play a sport like basketball which we saw on tv all the time than such a mm -hmm. foreign concept like hockey so but like there's mass caribbean migration to canada at the beginning of this century there's massive african um migration to canada that's that has been a piece of it but the other piece is just the ease of entry you know basketball mm. is extremely accessible it's not very expensive so when a parent is looking at hey you know where am i going to put my kids hey basketball literally costs nothing and these other sports cost a lot and then you couple that with football and hockey you know perceived danger i mean football as you as we all know has um mm -hmm. has had a massive decline at the youth level because of injuries and you know what many people believe is um, you know, long-term negative psychological effects. So, you know, you see football enrollment at an all-time low, especially mm. in Trump. And where do those kids play? They, they decide to go to basketball. So, you know, you couple it with migration, you couple it with, you know, what just kind of the cost and access of the sport, and then decreasing popularity of other sports. And I think that's where that's where the spark occurred. It doesn't, it also helps that Vince Carter could jump over buildings. It, it 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 helped that Kawhi Leonard brought us a championship, you know. Like I mean, that helped as well. It, it helps that someone like Pascal Siakam is from Cameroon, you know. Someone like um, OG Ananobi, like I mean, they're from these other countries, right? And mm -hmm. helps as well. And the Raptors' success, the Drake effect, there's no denying, um, yeah. you know, you know his his you know legacy on what's happened in the sport. I mean, it's all come together. But it it's been a, like a perfect cocktail of. What could happen? I would I would argue that Southern Ontario might be the best basketball market in the world right now. Mm. Really, yeah. When it when it comes to players, when it comes to access to sports, when it comes to developing young players and interest, I I think Southern Ontario might be the best market for basketball in the world. And the NBA opened its first NBA store, and they chose Toronto. Hmm. Um, the, the, their first NBA interactive store is is open in Toronto. I think it opened today or or yesterday. Mm. And yeah, they chose they chose Toronto. It's no accident, and I think even an an interesting. I mean, I don't have I don't have the numbers, um, and it's maybe not even something that you're able to quantify. But yeah, if you look at like a population size of southwestern Ontario compared to those pockets of the states that were used to being such hotbeds like a Chicago or um, different areas in California. Yeah, I think you're right. Like there is such a high volume of high, high caliber NBA players all from, you know, a relatively small population. And although it makes sense when someone like yourself sort of breaks down all the elements of this cocktail from sort of a zoomed out vantage point, it does seem like a very big leap to say, okay, we're going to be the only franchise to be to really own a CEBL basketball team. So I'm wondering, in the moment leading up, obviously you knew that there was a movement happening, but how big of a leap did that feel like to dive into to being a, a franchise owner? Look, it, it was it was a quantum. Okay, like no exaggeration. I thought it was crazy. I I thought it was legitimately crazy. Like. I know pro teams don't make money. Like I don't know if mm. I don't know if this is public knowledge, but I don't think the Raptors make money. I mean, I know I know mm. TFC definitely doesn't make money. You know, pro yeah. pro franchises are generally purchased by very rich individuals 
who realize the you know the value of the of that purchase when they sell you know that's really where the money is so you know you buy it for a billion dollars you lose money for 10 years but you sell it for four billion and that's where that's where if your pockets are deep enough you you weather the storm and you know what on the exit you make an insane amount of money right no better example than the phoenix suns that recently sold for four billion dollars right um but the truth is pro sports don't make money there's usually an adjacent reason why you own a pro sports team. So that was my first thought. I'm like, hey, look, I get to partner with, you know, great people at OVO, incredible marketers. I I get to use it as a marketing platform for my other businesses. But most importantly, I get to do it in my home city, Scarborough, which mm-hmm. historically has been a city that, you know, has hasn't been considered for things like this you know what i mean from a marketing and from a you know perspective of viability scarborough doesn't make sense you know no one in the world outside of me and nico would see the value in scarborough but because of our relationships and because this city is important to us we were willing to t- we were willing to take a chance now mm-hmm. the league has been ultra supportive but initially it was it was wild like it was like there is no good reason to do this but it's been an it's been an incredible journey like i'll be honest with you it's been one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life owning this team just just walking into the arena and all the kids are there and the mascots there and you know whatever and you you almost feel like it's a reunion because it's a very um intimate arena so it's only about three thousand people so you feel like you know everyone like you're mm. walking through the crowd, you're walking through the stands. You feel like you know when my family comes out, my kids come out, my parents come out. Like it's just an incredible vibe, and you know what? And it's just a real sense of pride because the city has supported this team, has gone behind this team when I think a lot of people didn't think they would. Mm. But it's 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 been great. But again, we we were the catalyst when we bought the team. We were the only team. We were the only outside group that owned the team. And then after that, it took one year. Now they're almost all purchased by individual ownership, and, wow. and that makes and that makes the league stronger. Mm. And I'm curious, even taking because obviously having a string of successful businesses behind you helps from a financial standpoint to take that leap. But even taking the finances out of the equation, do you think Sam Ibrahim of ten years ago would have had the the entrepreneurial confidence to take that leap or has that always been in your, in your spirit? No, no way. No way. Because honestly, the team, what the team really does, like what, what the advantage we have is that our roots are so deep in this community. Mm. So we're able to leverage that, those relationships with local businesses, with other partners, with even my own staff. You know what? This is now something at a social level that we can be a part of. Ten years ago, we didn't have that same type of, um, you know, kind of roots in the community. So it wouldn't have worked ten years ago. And also, ten years and ten years ago, you know, when you're in build, build, build mode, it's hard. It's hard to quantify the value of something like this when you know you're not really in that mindset to see it, right? But now I see it because it's goodwill. It, it's goodwill in the community. It's goodwill in our in. In, I mean, even in the greater, even in the greater scheme of like the city and the country and the province, like it does something for your image that you know what will help indirectly. But you have to believe that 
Like you have to mm. believe indirectly it's going to benefit you. And you just do the right thing. And then you know what? Indirectly it comes back. But it's opened up so many relationships. It's opened up so many opportunities. And, you know, I believe we did it for the right reason. And, and that's why it's just been so positive. The experience has been so positive. Mm. It, it is like it does come down to that again that organic relationship with the area too i think i i'll say i was a day one fan of my hometown nbl team the london lightning and you know i was a season ticket holder from the very first day up until when i i moved away from the city when i graduated university but there was always a bit of that chasm between that and you know i've had the chance to to meet them it was a very good kind successful ownership group but there was always that thought of you know there was not an investment into the local businesses to the same degree or even an organic love of of basketball that you could feel it sort of felt like they're okay we want to make money in two years and when you you know you're a very experienced businessman you know going in okay that's that's not our mission you have to have other that can be one of them we can say okay we want to sell it for a profit down the line of course you're an entrepreneur that's on your mind but that can't be the only or chief motivating factor but i think you know if you do it organically there are pockets of um that massive notoriety that come with it i think one of those moments um that maybe you're fatigued talking about from from last year but is just incredible to me is this that J. Cole signing and, and the support from Drake. And I'm wondering, like that that signing obviously was of a moment, and you're trying to build something that's that's bigger and more sustainable than just a, a great flash in the pan cultural moment. But what did that mean when that when that came through? Look, honestly, that is um that's an awesome question. I'm I'm not actually fatigued of talking about it. I, I get the question a lot. First of all, I mm-hmm. always have to give a massive shout out to J. Cole, Jermaine, Jermaine Cole. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the most incredible teammate. I mean, mm-hmm. he he literally came to practice early. He stayed late. He was a student of the game. He allowed our coaches to coach him. He never once did you get the impression that, you know, one of the best rappers of all time was, you know, also on the court. You know, he... He understood his role on the team, and he made it much easier. It was a lot easier because of who he is naturally. So when 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 there was when, look when I heard there was interest that you know what that that Cole might want to sign with the team, and of course there was of course there was a connection with Drake and with Nico. Um, you know, I I didn't think it was that far fetched because he had played in an African league just a year before. So it, it wasn't completely, you know, out of left field. But when you look at his summer schedule and his touring dates and all of his commitments, I'm, I thought, you know, it's probably unlikely. And and then, you know what? Again, a lot of hats off to Drake and Nico because they really made it happen. They uh, they worked the schedule, they, the accommodations, and and he and he was there. He was in Scarborough. He was at the practice. He was at the practice facility. And again, we have training camp. We held it a week before. And he was the first one there. He was the first one there getting extra practice, getting extra training. And you're like, you know what? This is going to be incredible. Look, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, it's a polarizing, you know, kind of thing sometimes, right? Cause some people say, well, you know what? He, he took the opportunity from someone else or it's just because of who he is. But I can tell you straight up, 
he is a he he was a great addition to the team and he was great for the league. He was great for the league. You know, the the, the league, like I, I think it propelled the league, you know, five years just the 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 publicity you got. So it was it was great. Look, we had a we had a plan, we had a marketing plan. Of course it had to shift. You know, it had to shift because you know, because we didn't know he was gonna be on the team. So when we shifted mm. the plan and, and then we kind of went a different direction, um, you know, it was great. And after five games he left. And then we were concerned that, hey, you know, is the city still going to come out? Or was this just the J. Cole show? And the beauty is, is after he left, there was a bit of a lull, maybe two, three games where attendance was down. And then it picked right back up. And and we ended up seeing the same level of interest during the J. Cole era than after he left. So, you know what? I think it was, I think it was um, a great experience. It was great for the city. He was very accessible. He signed as many autographs as he could. He shook as many hands as he could. You know, he never acted like um, he never acted like he was you know above anything. And he was just a great to have around. But I think the beauty is that there were some J Cole fans. They kind of dwindled off a little bit, and then we just got the hardcore basketball that were actually interested in what the product on the court. So it was it was great. It was it, it worked out great for us. And I'm really hoping he comes back this year. I, I I wouldn't even rule it out. There seemed to be just such a organic love for for him for the city as well, and I do think it's so. I think that's such a funny thing for someone to to critique and say, "Oh, he's taking a spot from somewhere else." Do you, like w- would they understand that he may have just allowed for twenty four more jobs to pop up in a couple years with new franchises, right? Like right. The, he he's helping uplift the entire league again. I it's a little bit of a limited. Um, mindset, and I think to go along with that is, you know, his first touch point with professional basketball, or the idea of it, was through an African league. And and when you look at Canada, GTA, Toronto, there are so many international touch points. I mean, whether you look at Masai and his connection to Pascal, or you look at someone like yourself who comes in and brings their cultural experience of, okay, I, I. Grew up liking soccer and basketball, and that's what I'm going to inject into the GTA culture. I'm curious, how unique do you think the GTA is in sort of its international tapestry of cultures really impacting its sports culture? I think that's the I think that's the beauty of of where we live. So. So we do a cultural survey at, at, at our company, and that is commonly what people pride themselves most about working for mm. this company or living in this city is how diverse it is and how culturally interesting it is. And, you know, and especially being in Scarborough. So if Toronto is the most diverse city in the world, Scarborough is the most diverse part of the most diverse city of the world, right? And, and and we and we embrace it right we 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 absolutely love it you have to love that if you live in the city because it is one of the most unique things about any you know big international city in the world right so um i think that's what makes living here amazing because i've got friends you know in the office next door who who are big cricket fans you know and i've and i've got and i've got guys yeah who like basketball and they like football and they like they like you know um Australian rules football or, or, or rugby or whatever. And, and that is what we all love about living in this city and, you know, being a part of this kind of, you know, culture, which is very unique. It is extremely unique. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the Raptors, I mean, even if you remember like way, way back when, when um, Glenn Grunwald was still the GM, you know what? He was the first person to really infuse that international, you know, uh, vibe into the team. And we, the Raptors selected Andrea Bayani. He was the first ever number one pick and he was Italian. And it was unheard of before that a, a team would take their first pick and draft an international player. I mean, look, the, the pick didn't actually pan out. <laughs> But but it it was a bold move. It was a bold statement. But that that could only happen in Toronto. You know, for, for him to not mm-hmm. select someone from a traditional NCAA background back then, I, I think it was probably in the early two thousand. That was unheard of, unheard of. And now it's the norm. I mean, look, the two time defending MVP is is Jokic, right? He's 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 an international player. But but back then, Toronto was the first team to do it, and it was probably because. Toronto is a team that would completely embrace international player because we're all international. I mean, 54% of us have been born outside mm-hmm. the city. Mm. And it's such a, like, it's a trend. Even the word trend is so apropos for it because, again, two-time MVP, maybe three-time Jokic. Yeah, Before I that, think I think he should be three-time. Who's, who's going to be the first pick in the, the draft this year? Another yeah. international player, Victor Yabamwama. So it's yeah. like, yeah, it's such a, a permanent shift yeah and i guess i'm wondering after such a successful year last year again people don't get to see the difficulties or the ins and outs of what it's like to to own a franchise along with other businesses that you're also managing i'm wondering what the most difficult maybe speed bump or, or roadblock you may have faced last year was look you know what for me i you have to i had to get used to public life like, you know, mm. what things I say were, I was seeing it appear on, you know, different, you know, media channels, right? So, I mean, that was a small, you know, thing I had to get used to because, you know, even you run a, you run a corporation and, and like, and, and we run a pretty big corporation, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation. You know, the stuff happens internally. It kind of stays internally. So, but at the pro sports level, it's so much public interest. A lot of things you say, you know, you got to be careful. Right? And 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 I've been guilty sometimes just saying whatever I feel like. <laughs> but but the other the other thing is is the schedule. You know what, Matt? Like the schedule involved, it's grueling. It's grueling. You know, you're flying you're flying from Newfoundland to Vancouver to Regina, and the team. You know what? The team that it takes to move these players and the coaching staff, you know, you're looking at about 40 people, you know, what the housing accommodations, the cars, the hotels, like that was unbelievable. Like, first of all, I didn't realize how much work it took, how much coordination it took, how much expertise it took. And, and then, and then, you know, what you also have a arena where you have to convert, you know, so it didn't look the way it did, you know, on game day as it does normally. So you have to convert an arena. You have to have a conversion team. Like there was so much jobs mm-hmm. created by this team that you never knew existed. Like we would have 25 people that worked on game day. They were called, you know, game day staff. And their job literally was to, you know, hang the banners up and, you know, pull the seats out and put little towels on the chairs and stuff. And you never knew that was jobs before before you had this team. I, I wouldn't be surprised if for every player on the court, there was like five or six associated jobs off mm. you know and 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 that was the thing though like it, it created a lot of part-time jobs it created jobs in sports which you know a lot of people find highly you know interesting and that was one of the most eye-opening 
things about running this team is the amount of jobs, the amount of work he was involved in, in putting a game on the court. It was mm. it was really it was really cool, really cool. Such such a different world, and it requires so much constant pivoting as well. If you want to go from obviously you getting used to having you know more of a public facing role to even the game day pivots of having to make a, a an adjustment on the fly in terms of logistics. I think you pointed to that earlier with okay, J Cole signing with the team. Our marketing strategy is changing very 100%. swiftly. But yeah. how important and how much better have you gotten at moving quickly and in a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Because that's a muscle you're gonna, you know, you learn to develop. Yeah. So look, I, I have the luxury of coming from that world. Right. So, you know, I'm not very rigid. I, I mean, you gotta be flexible. You gotta be flexible. But running a pro team, like first of all, you know, we had a game. So I'm not sure if um, everyone's familiar with what an Elam ending is, but the Elam ending is basically a target score, and then you have to reach that target score. And we were up by 20, and then we ended up losing the game. It was the worst. It was actually the greatest comeback in CEBL history, and I happened to be on the receiving side of that comeback. <laughs> so but, and when I tell you, Ter, it was the worst. It was the worst. And I walked into the locker room, and our coaches, you know, Chris is livid. The players are down. It, it was embarrassing. It was literally embarrassing. And those players have got to pick it up because we got a game tomorrow or we got a game three days from now. And they got to pick it up. They got to get back to their hotels. They got to get into the plane because they're going to Vancouver or wherever they're going. And to see that ship, because because that loss sat with me for weeks. It was mm. it was so terrible. Like I can't tell you how horrible. It was like I was looking at my kids' faces. They're like, "Like this is the most embarrassing loss in the in the league history," and and we're the ones who took the loss. <laughs> but but then to see that, but you have to be flexible. Like you need to be able to. Hey, business is business. You know, pick it up. Now it's time. You know what? We got to go to the next one. We got to go to the next one. Like there, there's not so much time to sulk and. You know, feel sorry for yourself. You know what? You're jumping to the next event. You're going to the next group. And that's kudos to the players, to the management, to the team, to be able to pick up and keep moving. Because even in business, like, you know what? You lose a big deal. You know, you're bidding on a big contract and you lose it. You know what? You might be upset about it for months. But in sports, you got to shift immediately. There's a game tomorrow. Like, it's over. That game is over. And, you know, and until I was like, until I was like, you know, an insider, I didn't really realize that. I didn't really realize how it, how it must be for them, for the players and the coaches. That's such an, uh, a balance between flexibility and resilience, which maybe from a, a baseline definition, you think, oh, resilience is that rigidity if I'm just going to keep going forward. But it's also <laughs> when done the right way with a bit of flexibility, like it allows for, okay, I need to. We need to evolve in this sense. And that's something that's, you know, really shared, I think, by entrepreneurs and athletes and coaches alike, where, you know, there's a, a resilience. Okay, we're going to pack up, head to the next game, leave that behind us. But you're not going in with the exact same game plan. It's the same, I'm sure, with, with a, a business pivot as well. And as we sort of, because we have a lot of young people who listen, who are aspiring athletes, but also a lot who listen, who are aspiring entrepreneurs and are self-starters. I'm wondering, as we wind down, Sam, if you could give any advice to a young self-starter who 
again, has some passions that they love mm-hmm. and they're looking around saying, I think this is missing and they want to build something. What advice would you offer? Look, the, first of all, the parallels between sports and entrepreneurship is undeniable. I mean, mm. success and consistency and resilience, it's evident in the athletes and it's evident in business people, especially entrepreneurs. It's, it's very similar. And, and I think that's why, I think that's why there's such a camaraderie amongst the business community and and players because we can literally see each other in ourselves right like we we can we understand what they're going through without actually being able to you know 40 inch vertical and be able to to dunk the basketball right but we see the similarities but like honestly the the most important advice i can give to to people that want to come into kind of this type of work is is you know i mean i usually use the other term but i say like you got to be able to eat crap you got to be able to take crap Right. Like you have to be able to take it and no, no ego. Okay. I have seen horrible things happen because ego um, wasn't able to be managed. And mm. if, if you can, you know, eat crap and take a lot of crap, then you get rewarded by more crap and you just get, you get more things you have to deal with. But the truth is, the truth is the crazy part is, 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 you know, what was once a $10, you know, piece of shit now is a, is a $10,000 piece of shit. You know what I mean? And, and then it becomes a million dollar piece of shit. And like, yeah. and the reality is like, once you think you can't take any more, take a little bit more. And uh. if you can do it free of ego, because that's the thing, that's the problem. You know, a lot, a lot of guys like, look, even for someone like myself and Nico to come together and run this team together. And look, he's been wildly successful in what he does. And I've been really successful at what I do. But we both have really like the reason why we work so well together is there's no ego. There's absolutely absolutely no ego. When it comes to marketing, when it comes to the branding, when it comes to the image stuff, of course we lean on him because, you know, he's he's successfully managed the most successful artist of the last 50 years, you can argue, you know? And, And when it comes to operations and payroll and human resources, that's obviously our forte. And he leans on us. He leans on my company for those types of things, right? And that's what made this so successful because we, you know, we came together and again, it's ego-free and but there's been a lot of challenges. But if if people can appreciate, like especially in basketball, like even in sports, like it's an ego-driven industry. It is It is yeah. you know, almost like egomaniacs, right? And, and well, It's an individual star-driven game too star-driven game it's a star-driven game and you know if you can check the ego and if you can take some hits and be resilient you're going to succeed you're going to succeed i love that and we always joke with my publisher the reward for good work is more work and that is the life of an entrepreneur that is the the story of sam ibrahim sam i i really appreciate you giving all your insights you taking some time out of your very very busy schedule to enlighten us Um, i'm wondering to close us out here what are you most excited for this year either with playground shooting stars um what what should people be looking out for where should they be going to to buy tickets etc yeah well look the the shooting stars we were we went to the finals last year. We lost by one controversial call. So this year is definitely the road to championship weekend. Anything other than a championship is will be considered a failure. Um, we've built a great team. And so we've added some really important pieces. And 
I mean, the season starts um, at the end of May. Our first home game is the first week of June. Um, you can you can um, go on our site and take a look at ticket availability. Um, it's going to be a great environment. Um, in terms of the playground, we are expanding internationally. So we've opened up Houston. We're looking at Los Angeles and Salt Lake City as uh, future locations. So you can definitely look out for that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, all things sports and basketball and boxing as well. It's going to be a great year for us. So anyone that has any um, questions of how to get involved, you can hit me up on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning into episode 12 of Detours featuring founder of Scarborough Shooting Stars, Sam Ibrahim. Ben, that was a super fun episode and a little different than the ones we typically have. Typically, you know, we have athletes or or coaches. We've had um, some authors sort of in the queue as well. But having a the founder of a team, sort of a different perspective and, and super fun, I guess, as a, you know, media company that also has the business arm to it too. It sort yeah. of crosses over between a lot of our interests. I thought Sam was super, super interesting to talk to. He just really embodies everything that we try to express with our brand too. And that's something that's obviously been super top of mind for all of us mm-hmm. in the office too. I mean, we're recording this. What's the date today? I, this is coming out on the Friday, but... It's the second right now. Man. And so this Friday, it's coming out... And we are just coming off of a pretty wild rebrand mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Which, I mean, if people aren't familiar, you know, our old publication, Bay Street Bull, now rebranded to Glory Professional, Glory Sports, still Glory Sports. And within that, we are sort of aligning the brands together. So a super exciting week. I will say if anyone is following at Glory Sports on Instagram, go check out at Glory Professional on Instagram as well. A lot of really neat content there, but it's been a heavy, heavy week for us, Ben. It's been a lot of work. Uh, everybody just hitting the grindstone, mm-hmm. and it, but the result is a new, beautiful, a new era of professionalism as well as sporting life. And I think we've all done a fantastic job here, but the workload has been heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think Sam is is maybe listening to his, his own episode and smiling to us. Yeah. Man, a couple a couple Proud of, of our work. Yeah, I got to chip off the old block. Yeah. <laughs> really, Look at these young bucks. <laughs> really <laughs> referenced his interview throughout the is is uh, our rebranding strategy over the past month. But no, I we just wanted to sort of intro that as well um at the end of this interview because it is the first one coming out with sort of this this new branding, this new chapter in the company um that we're really really excited about yeah i mean uh there's a lot of really cool things on the horizon the whole rebranding has been a great process again a lot of work but we are really really excited for what's to come and you guys should be too because the content the articles the cover stories they are going to be amazing yeah we're super excited and and all that to say again at glory professional on instagram at glory sports on Instagram, of course, and also on TikTok. Ben, pushing out the content. Talk about nose to the grindstone. Please follow us on there because if you're following us on Instagram, you're missing out on some additional content that is TikTok exclusive. And we recommend checking us out there. Of course, 
follow along with the podcast. Episodes are coming out bi-weekly every other Friday. We've got some really exciting. We're in the heat of the NHL playoffs right now. We have some really exciting NHL guests coming up as well that I'm pumped for. We're in the thick of a Leafs run right now. So mm-hmm. go back and listen to our Michael Bunting episode. I don't know what number one that, that is. We have 12 out, people. What yeah. do you want? I can't hold your hand every episode. Go back, <laughs> scroll through, find the Michael Bunting one, listen to that one. We're in the thick of a run right hey, now. If we could do all the work rebranding our own company here, you can do the work by finding the Michael Bunting You could episode. find the Michael Bunting episode. Have some agency people but that one's a, that one is a great great lesson as well sort of give some insight into um his thoughts really leading into the start of the season as well we did that interview back um in the fall when when you know the wheels were first starting to get going with the season so it's really neat to to listen to that one back hey it's the end of the podcast. It's Plug City, baby. I'm not. I'm not shy. I'll drop another one. I'll drop another little gem. We for Glory Professionals podcast. We interviewed Kyle Dubas and yep. Ben put together a great video yep. for that one. Um, now this was, I think, two seasons ago, and it. I think that almost leads into why it's such a fascinating episode. It's, it it fits perfectly. He yeah. talks about dealing with the the pressure of losing games and dealing with the pressure of winning games because, as we know. There is no other fan base like the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. The amount of pressure from the media, from the fans, and Kyle Dubas gives an excellent episode. He gives an excellent interview on on how he deals with all of those things and his processes as a as a general manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Under that microscope too. I think the only thing that's like semi comparable to the Leafs is when the New York Knicks are good. Like right now, both fan bases, if you look at the videos coming (laughs) from New York, you know, they're hanging from the lamp post. It's like they won the the championship. One round in. You you beat a not a horrible Cavs team, but a Cavs team that quite literally has four players on it, and then the rest are pylons. And (laughs) you're acting as if you just won your fifth championship. But that's why I love them. That's why I love delusional Leafs fans. I don't mean that in a negative way. (laughs) They can win the cup. They could go on an incredible incredible run i i can see it happening however as we're recording this they're also about to play game one so let's you know (laughs) but all that to say those are those are some that's a pair of really fun episodes to listen to and ones that really reflect the new chapter that we're entering into of course they were recorded before this formal formal rebrand but i think they really give some insight into what our tone is what our values are Mm -hmm. and also they're they're just straight up really fun lessons so i I highly recommend stay tuned stay subscribed to detours wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out next week thank you so much for listening we'll see you in a couple weeks